Hey everybody, welcome to uh, All the Way Down. I'm Invictus Knox. This is Dash Retro. How you doing, Dash? Uh, I'm Dash. I, I, I'm I'm doing good. Um, it looks like it says 32, but is this 33 or 32? This is 33, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a perfect transition to talk about our, uh, you know, totally planned transition to talk about our uh, subjects tonight, which is actually, uh, I I've been playing a game called. Um, uh, Vermintide 2. I haven't, uh, it's Warhammer, actually. Warhammer Vermintide 2. I have always been a Warhammer fan. I have never been uh, a, a big Warhammer Vermintide player since I've never really got into it. Uh, I'm playing the second one now, and it's, like, very, very good. But it's got some weird things about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I you know I'm I'm not big into RTSs, uh, you know, outside mm. of growing up playing a lot of StarCraft. It's a first-person shooter game. What? I was gonna say I've always heard uh, Warhammer is talked about quite positively as far as RTSs oh. go, but so Vermintide is a first-person shooter. Well, Warhammer in general is a big fictional universe. Um, the game got its start in the tabletop. Uh, era kind of like not rts like video games but basically like tabletop basically you know how an rts game kind of flows but as if it were tabletop um yeah. a lot of the games obviously kind of went in the rts manner but they made first person shooter games they made uh like there's like space hulk where there's uh, battlefleet gothica where there's actually starship uh combat there's lots of stuff in the warhammer that's and that's just 40k too this is this, what we're talking about here is actually just warhammer um I hesitate to call it Warhammer Fantasy because apparently they concluded the fantasy universe and made something new called... I don't even remember what it's called. Um, I've been out of touch with the fantasy universe for a while, but essentially it's old world versus, like, you know, far future and space, all that shit. What? Like it's all of it together at once? While, but essentially it's old No, world no, it's... um, it's There's Warhammer and Warhammer 40K. Warhammer 40K is okay. Yeah, Warhammer 40,000. It's the 41st millennium, essentially. Yeah, and to a moron like me, it's like Warhammer is Warcraft and Warhammer 40K is Starcraft. Yeah, but in the release orders that those games came out, uh, the Blizzard stuff came after. Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> Bas just but to... basically for the universe, yeah, yeah. Um, so essentially, uh, Vermintide is the idea that you're in the fantasy universe, so old school, medieval, wizardry, swords, shields, all that shit. Um, except with Warhammer's very unique take on the universe, etc. So Vermintide is the uh, collective, essentially, uh, story-wise, it's the conspiracy come to fruition of there are uh, there's this underground race of rat men and it's this big thing that just you know you're crazy if you if there's if you've seen anything bigger than a rat you know out in the field or in your village house you know whatever you're, it's just a tall tale but like no th these actually are a race of rat men called the skaven and they have teamed up with some of the forces of chaos in the local area to uh, bring about the end, <laughs> the end times of, uh, of of their overworld, like you know, above ground, you know, overlords. So, uh, without getting too much away of the story, um, they essentially, uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to give away too much of the story. But imagine if Left for Dead could be a more fast-paced game using less fast-paced weaponry. And what Whoa. I mean by that, uh, hmm. I, I was going to say, give, give us a little bit of the hook on the story. You know, what's the hook? Uh, well, 
the rats are going to take over and they're going to eat everything and they're going to destroy everything and they're going to kill you. And who are you if you're not rat people? You are uh, one of four different characters. And that's actually where this game gets good for me. So there is, there's characters rather than classes. And each of those characters has a class to pick from. So it kind of takes me back to an older game I played. One of the last MMOs I really loved, which was Warhammer Online Age of Reckoning. Because this game kind of takes the class system, almost, like halfway takes the class system from an MMO and uh, throws it into this kind of Left 4 Dead combat swarm style melee or ranged combat shit in, in general. So you are either, uh, it's fucking uh, something, hu- oh, God damn it. Uh, Victor Hubert or something, I can't remember. Victor Saltspire is, uh, he's a, either a witch hunter uh, a mercenary. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get these classes wrong because they only just started playing recently. Uh, or a, a her- not a heretic, a zealot. You know, classic like re- he's a really religious guy essentially, and as he could also be a warrior priest as a DLC character. So he's the kind of guy who's like sheltered in. He's the v- Sigmarite, uh, which is the their deity essentially in this universe. Uh, he he's the zealot. He's the crazy uh, religious guy, um, and you can kind of do what you will with all four of his classes like they kind of spread four subclasses across these four characters for whatever role you'd want to do like one is one can be like a ranged dps role one can be a tanking role one can be a support role essentially or however support works in this game um and uh, in, in, in each other, each of the races uh, that you have, like I, I, I mentioned Victor Saltspire. You also have Sienna Fuegonasis, which I fucking hate her name because she's a fire wizard. And how the hell do you get a cheesier name than than, than Fuego? Not anyway. Uh, she's really cool uh, because fire wizards work in a badass way. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, then there's also the dwarf, uh, which damn, I'm really bad at remembering names. It's like fucking barum or some shit like that i don't remember it starts with a b their names really aren't important but you kind of (sighs) like there's a lot of story that goes on in the dialogue back and forth between these characters but their names are so unimportant that i just don't remember them uh but yeah there's the little dwarf and uh he can be uh you know a hunter he can be a tank like it's called an iron breaker in the in the warhammer universe uh he'll be a slayer which is a, a badass kind of little dwarf uh uh, and then you can be an engineer, which he has like this sweet fucking steam-powered Gatling gun. It's it's sick. Uh, and then also there's the main character, which is Marcus. That was his name, Marcus Kruber. And he's like uh, where the Empire has uh, – the Empire is represented by uh, Sienna and, and Victor, I think. Uh, well, he's obviously with the Empire, but Marcus is more of a uh, – I want to say he's a Bretonian knight. Bretonian, which is like in this universe – it's kind of like if England and France were a kind of combined culture force, whereas the empire is like if the Holy German Roman Empire, or whatever, were to were to expand and become much bigger, etc. Um, and then uh, shoot, did I did I name all the characters that you play? Yeah, I did. So anyway, there's these four characters. You can play them four different ways. You unlock them in different ways. Uh, either you buy them as DLC or you unlock them. Uh, you, you get two as you unlock, uh, as you level up, but one that you get DLC. Um, and the actual characters themselves play pretty differently, and they play very much the same at the same time. And that's kind of my biggest gripe with this game so far, is while the characters and classes are like visually very different, 
you have the freedom to play them all the same, which I like and don't like because I don't know. There's a, there's something about limitations to a class that make you you know we, we've had this conversation before. Limitations limitations will force you to think creatively on your feet, etc. Um, but essentially, you can be you can combat however you want. It's just your class is the the only thing that changes with your class is your you know F key ability, which is like your you know, your special ability, and then uh, the specific perks or stat boosts you get to uh, you know to like. Say if I was Sienna, who's a fire wizard, she's going to be mostly doing uh, ranged combat, you know, fire damage, etc. But she has a character class where uh, it's called Unchained, and she essentially just wears all this heavy iron armor. It looks like the most like ridiculous, evil-looking medieval shit, uh, and and then she just focuses on melee weapons. And she's got this thing where like she has a meter called Overcharge, so. All of her classes work around the overcharge meter. So, like in one, her her main class will be like you know the the more overcharge you have, the faster spell casting speed you'll have, or you'll cool down after you'll automatically also cool your meter down after se- uh, six seconds. And the reason that's important is because if your meter is almost to uh, the other the last portion of the bar, it'll start glowing red with a skull, and that's because you're about to blow yourself up. That's kind of like the, the give and take of this kind of class. It's like in in the Warhammer universe, the humans were entrusted by the elves. Uh, the only magic they were entrusted with, because they didn't want them to overcome them, was uh, was fire magic. So that's why she's a fire wizard, and kind of that's like, I guess <laughs> I guess elves hate humans in this universe too, because this of course the only magic they would teach them is magic that they could kill themselves with. So anyway, that's fun to deal with, but it's like a it's like a cool thing to do where you're not just clicking and then oh there's some damage over there there's i'll click over here and there's some damage over here no it's actually something that keeps you it's a balancing act so it's keeping you on your toes while you're also combating like hundreds and hundreds of rats (laughs) yeah so the first thing that you compared this to was left for dead Mm -hmm. and so it's generally a co-op shooter where you're just fighting hordes of uh of enemies yeah there's no Um, versus like it's a multiplayer game for sure but it's all like you're you're in a party with people against the hordes and uh and so what's the goal because like in left for dead you're trying to get from point a to point point B. b yep and that's the same thing here it's basically like that except with this you have um I would say, in my limited experience with Left 4 Dead 2, and much less so Back for Blood, um, I would say this game has a lot more objectives in the level. So you have to go to different parts of the level, sometimes multiple times. So you have to you have to backtrack. Um, there's uh, areas where you know you'll create a, an event where, of course, you're gonna just trigger a swarm, and you have to combat that. Or there'll be a. Sometimes the game will be a real dick and throw like a a, a big meaty uh, not boss, but like something that'll fuck you up if you were currently running away from the horde. And so the way the way that the game works uh, from getting from point A to point B is point B. Bubble around it. So as soon as you get to the waystone and you're in that bubble. You're it. You you can't be hurt by enemies. They can't go in the bubble. But your teammates, if they're still outside, uh, the level won't automatically like end. You either have to yeah. go back out for them, or you abandon them. And yeah, it, as the Left for Dead kind of name implies, it's right. it, it's present here. 
And, you know, that's just like in Left 4 Dead when there's the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, the exit. I can't remember what they called the exit, the safe room. Uh, yeah, yeah, safe where, room. Like, yep. Yeah, you, you close the door. Exactly. And then, um, yeah. And just like Left 4 Dead, it's also got all those kind of different, you know, kinds of character bosses. Like, you know, Left 4 Dead had the Hunter, which I remember, which was the super annoying fucking hoodie-wearing asshole that would climb the walls in the alleyways. You kind of have that here, except this rat's just known as an assassin rat. Um, you'll hear hear them in your headphones left to right go stereo in and out so you can't really picture where he's coming from until you see him and usually when you see him he's already kind of flying at you and i god damn it dude it's like a rule of thumb with this game for me at this point maybe it's just because i'm not good at this point but like if you he <laughs> my rule of thumb is now if you are the person who sees the fucking assassin rat, you're the person who everyone is going to have to come save from the assassin rat. Like, no matter what you do, unless you have, like, pin-perfect aim <laughs> at the right second to kill that thing as it's flying at you, you're going to get jumped and you're going to be pinned. And you really can't do anything because it's just going to stab you until you're dead. And Right. Yeah. So, so you said that the, the, the different characters have different classes with very different abilities. Yep. Um, is there anything besides that? I mean, does that do enough to separate the game from Left 4 Dead, do you think? Uh, <clears throat> yes, for me. Um, because it's got a lot... Oh, excuse me. It's got a lot more going on than, than in, with the combat, I think, than Left 4 Dead does. does well, at least the old school Left 4 Dead. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I could just pick up the M16, or I'll use a submachine gun, or I'll just use a pistol or whatever. It's like there's just way more depth to it than that in this. Um, however, my biggest gripe with it is that while all the characters uh, do play, um, well, they can play the same, like I said, uh, their abilities are different enough to distinguish them from each other, like mechanically, the skill trees that you follow are like the same. <laughs> like, I uh, maybe, again, maybe it's because I don't know the game enough, and of course, I'm, I, I haven't gotten a character level 20 yet. So I have heard that the beginning skill tree abilities pretty much are the same across all characters uh and that's like the first ability uh, in, in like the first column or i'm sorry in the first row you have three choices it's like it's, it's either going to be staggering enemies will grant you temporary health or uh killing enemies with like a killing blow will grant you temporary health or when you use a potion or anything like that that recovers your health, nearby teammates will get about 20% of that and healing themselves as well. So it's like every class I've played so far that I've tried to, you know, give any amount of time, they all have that. So it's like, well, I don't know. But I, I've heard for something like the warrior priest, okay, I'll get into the way the warrior priest works. And the way I like this, the reason I like this class is, uh, it's a class that's technically a support class, not really heal or tanking, although they can tank if they want. Um, it's a class where you're kind of trying to do as much damage around you as you can in order to provide the most gray health to yourself. And with the skill tree enhancements later on, I think the idea is that gray health can be transferred to teammates as well. So your idea is to either spec yourself to go stun or stagger, or uh, killing, or some other thing. Like maybe the next uh, tree point down from like the potion thing will be like, well, you just have seven percent better, <laughs> better, better attack power. You know, it's like it's kind of a throwaway stat. It's like you could either do the math better, or you could have this cool ability that lets you do this and all this. And it's like the skill trees are 
not my favorites so far. But I did discover that you don't have to pay anything to respec your character. So like if I wanted to go, if I wanted to tank real quick as this character, I could just, okay, go hero select, go to this person, change it over, and then go to this, uh, the inventory, go to the skill tree, and just click, 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 put it, put it the way I want. You know, it's it's fine for that, but I kind of wish there was like, I don't know, like a favorites menu, like a here's how I want this build. I'll push this button and it specs me that way. I don't want to have to click everyone. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there's lots of stuff like that that, you know, it could use some polish, but... Yeah, I think World of Warcraft had something like that. It was like in that game, you did have to pay in-game currency yes. to respec your character, but at some point they did introduce like dual specking where there was a button press you could do that would just flip you between two that you had preset or something. That was uh, yeah, after I left. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was this was quite a bit later, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm a little surprised it doesn't have something like that, oh, dude. I remember that too. That was a miserable time if you were a WoW player, like especially me as a warrior. So I played an arms warrior, so I was I, I was a big burst damage dealer kind of character. But you know, late game, if you were a warrior and you weren't a tank, like you weren't shit to anybody. So. Yeah. I, <laughs> A, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, deal with the the people who would like, you know, try to force me to play it the way the way they wanted to play. And at that point, like you said, there's actually real monetary consequence to being forced to being played the way you don't want to play. You know, it's like that gold, dude. There was like a, I guess I'm showing my age a little bit here, but there was a solid point in time where gold farming in world of warcraft was a legitimate career choice for a lot of people especially in china like it was a meme but like it was real you you actually had people sleeping under desks while their co their worker mate would be awake on their shift just doing the same patterns like almost speed running wow uh speed running daily quest to just farm gold for you to buy but yeah, dude, I, I couldn't stand that. So so seeing that I didn't have to pay money or even pay in-game currency that you have to, you know, buy with real money uh, for cosmetics and shit. And that's another can of worms, too. The cosmetics are not worth it in this game, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. I was because gonna say. Warhammer is like, that's the game where you can legit have as much fun in an army painter uh, you can have just as much fun in the same amount of time as actually playing it. But yeah, anyway, I didn't mean to um, derail you into World of Warcraft off of uh, Vermintide. No, um, but uh, so so yeah. So as you're playing, you said that there's a skill tree. You mentioned that a couple characters were unlockable, but then another one was DLC. Is, is this game? Are we in like? Is this a battle pass situation? No, no, no. So how it works is you. No matter who, who you pick, uh, you start a character at level zero. And you don't get the next character uh, to play until you've gotten your first character to level 10, I think it is. And then you unlock the second character class from that at level 15, I want to say. Which I actually really like because it forces you to play the base character to understand the game before you go playing. Like, Okay, for example, I'll go back to the Fire Wizard because I love playing the Fire Wizard. Her uh, Battle Wizard class is the one you start out with. That's the one where you automatically start venting your heat, your overheat meter after six seconds of not using it. Um, so say I get to full meter and I don't want to blow up and hurt myself and waste a, a potion or possibly get left behind, uh, I can just switch to my melee weapon and just start hitting fuckers. 
So that's nice. Or you can do what you're supposed to do and hit the R key, kind of like reload, you know, um, except in this game, R is you physically venting your heat out of your meter and taking that as a chip damage to your HP. So you can, and I have killed myself accidentally by just hitting the R key at zero health. So like, it's good that you're forced to play the battle wizard first because the next step up is the pyromancer. And that's the one that is a little bit less, you know, hybridized. Like you could do more melee stuff with the battle wizard than you could the pyromancer uh, mechanics wise. Gameplay wise, you do whatever the fuck you want. But like with the, the pyromancer, she can she doesn't have the ability to vent after six seconds so you have to deal with your meter you have to be on top of your meter being you know near the top but not low because her passive ability as a pyromancer is the more meter she has the higher crit chance she has so instead of uh just you know saving you you could be doing way more damage if you have if you've built up the you know the wherewithal to not blow yourself up first with the battle wizard. So I like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was worried about the, the battle pass thing, uh, just cause of what you were saying about the DLC and stuff, but all right, well, um, you, you also asked like, what, what, what do you do? Like, okay. So it's pretty obvious in left for dead, you know, get the fuck out, survive, you know? Uh, but, but this is, this is Warhammer, and you're you're a group of four actual badasses. So you're not trying to escape. Uh, you're trying to run. Generally, when you're trying to escape, it's because you just did something to f- royally fuck up a lot of the enemy. So okay. there's like a lot of satisfaction that goes into it. And actually, one thing I did want to say about this game is because you know how uh, when, when this is kind of a, a weird connection. You know how when uh, the Battlefield series introduced what is the dice engine or the frostbite engine and frostbite, like yep. all of a sudden all of the, the the fucking environments became a lot more destructible than they ever used to be in a video game that feeling uh when i was playing battlefield is the same feeling i get when i just like if i have a conflagration staff as the fire wizard charge it up and the staff she has a bunch of different staffs that do different kinds of fire damage and in, in ways that it deals it uh this staff is like essentially charge it up and it's just a flamethrower so just like fucking burning and the fire looks great too great graphics it's a very pretty game um and and just toasting like scores of rats is like that same level of satisfaction but contrary to like left for dead or uh, really any kind of co-op game, any co-op experience. This has been one of the few, and it, this could just be me being a Warhammer nerd, it probably is, but this is one of the few games where I've not wanted to be on voice comms with, uh, with my friends who are playing with. Like, I don't want to play with people randos, but I totally will, because this is one of those games where like randos skill level matters, but I totally just want to hear the dialogue between the characters. Like the like the writing between characters isn't the best, but it's Warhammer and it's a cheesy universe anyway. So you kind of just go along with it. But it's to the point where um, it adds a whole element to the game that you don't you didn't think you'd appreciate. Uh, I and I know Left 4 Dead had you know back and forth banter between characters, but this is like almost the level of. Uh, engagement between like the uncharted games like the characters in the uncharted games and how well the the dialogue between characters is there it's engaging and it's fun to just see 
why each one of these four characters talks funny or says funny shit or weird shit it's it's that's pretty charming about it so it's a game that you can absolutely veg out to i guess is my point um while also being a game that (sighs) recruit for me recruit is the lowest difficulty uh is pretty boring at this point because that's the veg out mode if you just want to veg out you can just just (sighs) honestly recruits a little bit more boring because i wish there were same difficulty but more rats like that's that's where you want to get the focus in but you can uh you can go to veteran difficulty you can go to champion i think is the hardest one uh and there's one in between that but there would actually make the game fun and i don't find myself saying that about games very often where the difficulty setting actually makes it good (laughs) and i mean i know a lot of a lot of games on easy mode are boring and that's why i always play things on normal but this is the one game where it's like it absolutely changes up the strategy between difficulties because say I'm playing the warrior priest again, uh, say I'm using a two handed mace. Uh, and, and his, by the way, his, his mechanic, I keep jumping around here, but the more enemies that die around him, he, he builds up a meter called righteous fury. And as soon as the meter fills up, it'll start draining, but his like hammer starts glowing like gold, golden light with like, you know, Sigmar religious shit. And he starts dealing uh, whenever he hits uh, hits an opponent, he also does twenty percent weapon damage and uh, in, in smite damage. So, and I think his I want to say his rate of fire goes up too. So, with the with the way that this game just handles two handed combat, uh, it's very satisfying. But as soon as you up that difficulty, you're immediately forced to start going like, oh shit, I got to pay attention to everything I'm doing here because now there are there could be like five people attacking me in different intervals and i now have to choose do i block or parry with a two-handed weapon and the way this game handles that is gives like a little meter of like little shields and like it'll show you how many blocks you have left before you're totally staggered and broken and you have to attack or run uh you have to determine how many you know how many blocks and parries do i have left how many of those are going to be swiped away in the next two seconds when i take these three hits can I push them? And that's a mechanic. It's like when you're blocking, you actually want to push and it staggers them. So you get a swipe in there too. But you also have to worry about, do you have the stamina for that? Do you have the time to wind up power strike that actually with two ended weapons, two ended maces in the game, it actually gives you a nice wide sweep. So you can hit a lot of things at once. You have to make sure you can wind that up. Or if someone's behind you, that one little backstab behind you is going to cancel that animation. So you have to go think on your toes. All right, wide sweep now as they're staggered or turn around and quick sweep uh, or quick, like, you know, hammer to the fucking face of this rat and then power up another swing behind me and go around. Like it's, there's a lot of decisions in the, in the melee combat that gets made in a very small amount of time with even the most moderate level of difficulty. And that makes it very engaging and satisfying. I'd say. Good. Does it have, uh, like, actual bosses? Because you, you mentioned that, like, you do a little bit more than just escape. And so the first thing I thought of is, like, is there, like, a, are there, like, champions that you're taking down or that kind of thing? Absolutely. So uh, one of the things you'll hear uh, most commonly is uh, one of your teammates announce, uh, oh, fuck, there's a chaos warrior. Like, they won't say that, but they'll say chaos warrior. And a chaos warrior will essentially be, obviously, a member of chaos is another... It's a, it's an enemy faction. Not he's not a Skaven. He's not a rat dude. Essentially, uh, he's a big, 
big fucking mass of of muscle wearing a lot of thick armor and a big fucking like horned helm and shit like uh like this will just chaos in this universe are essentially like vikings they're the viking kind of aesthetic where you know i told you about the other imperials and shit i don't have to get into that but essentially the the bosses can be like a big hulking chaos warrior who's actually not even a the boss he'll just be one of the mid bosses or just a random enemy sprinkled throughout depending on your difficulty level so you'll also have um like i said you have you have your uh you, you have like the dangerous classes that aren't bosses kind of how left for dead will have like uh, you know, the hunter, uh, the boomer, etc. They'll have, well, there's no boomer in here, but they have characters that like th- a gas rat, which is essentially this rat with a gas mask and a big old backpack that he can shoot poison gas at you. It's an area of effect thing. You want to take him out from range, uh, you know, unless you, unless you want to get fucked up. Uh, then there's also like, th- there's a hook rat. That's also the one of those fucking annoying ones. A hook rat just makes all this weird noise walks up behind you you can see him no matter fuck you can see him for like five minutes and he'll still get you he just has a staff and he just like hooks you around the neck with the staff and then he pulls you along away from your group and he tries to pull you as farther away from your teammates as he can and then he just like puts the hook up and essentially hangs you and leaves like you like the smoker from left for dead i mean this all sounds oh, most of what you're saying well is the smoker just... blows up with smoke right well uh when you kill him, he does. Yeah, this but guy didn't the, blow the, up. The, the, hook the right. smoker's main function is that he spits his tongue out, which yeah. gets someone around the neck and then pulls them away and then sits there and gets them. Uh-huh. Uh, Pretty much like yeah. that, yeah. Like, it's it's very it's very mirrored, <laughs> kind of it, how Left 4 Dead works. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of what you're saying, too, just kind of brings up the fact, like, man fucking remember left for dead like what a what a revolutionary game that was when it came out holy shit when it came out but man that got so stale real quick though i I, I don't know i i partially blame them because i don't think they made enough maps yeah i i mean here's what i'll say uh left for dead 2 came out like only a year after left for dead 1 right and at that point i was was not yeah, I think I think so. Hmm. And I was not sick of Left 4 Dead 1 at that point. In fact, Left 4 Dead 2 kind of made me quit playing Left 4 Dead because it was like, I'm not sick of the first one, don't really want to buy the second one, and now yeah. all my friends are playing the second one, so I guess I just don't play Left 4 Dead anymore. Dude, is that is the ha- exact same story with me. Exactly <laughs> yeah. what happened to me. <laughs> like I, with Left 4 Dead 2, I felt like all the. I was like, what? Are th- these are DLC characters. Why, why, what am I buying another game for? Like, why couldn't you yeah. just like? Uh, okay, I, I get for dialogue purposes. Uh, you know, certain characters have to be there to talk to each other. I get that, but like, it felt. <sighs> It felt like the same fucking game. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I don't wanna, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so I, I guess, though, that my, my the reason I bring that up, though, is to say that I didn't necessarily get sick of it at the time. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely a much older game now. Um, it's really interesting, though, the way that, like, even the studio that made Left 4 Dead, Turtle Rock, you know, Turtle Rock gets a lot of um, uh, credit for, for making Left 4 Dead. Um but uh, but after they left Valve and went off on their own, they have not done super well, you know. They made Evolve, which was an awesome idea, you Ooh. know. But uh, but they like really kind of fucked it up in a few ways. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being very poorly received. Could you go and, into that a little bit more? Because this is news. I I didn't know that they left Valve. Like, well, 
Yeah, I thought it was did you hear Valve. about that game Evolve? I've heard that, is it like E-V-O-L-V? Or am I just thinking of a Craftsman tool set? Uh, there's an E at the end of it. <laughs> Never mind, yeah. L- tell me about it. So, so Left 4 Dead was made by Turtle Rock Studios, but like inside Valve. As in like, Valve... Uh, I, I don't even really know what the exact story was, but it was something like Turtle Rock kind of came up with a prototype for the game as a Counter-Strike mod. They, like, made a Counter-Strike mod where you fought hordes of enemies that just had knives, you know? And and Valve really liked it and, like, took them on board to develop it into a full game. Or something like that. Which is actually very similar to how Portal became a thing. There was a small team that made a game called Narbacular Drop, which was like Portal. And, and Valve was like, wow, that fucking kicks ass. Come under Valve and let's develop this into a game called Portal. Um, so same kind of thing happened with Left 4 Dead. Maybe. I, I might be slightly wrong on some of these details, but that's the, that's the essentially it, right? Um, after they, after Turtle Rock then, uh, went away from Valve and just made their own, uh, independent project, it was called Evolve, which was the same idea of asynchronous, or not asynchronous, uh, asymmetric multiplayer, you know, where, like, one team is four humans and then the other team is something else, right? Because, uh, I, I, sorry if I'm jumping around here, but, um, Left 4 Dead, the big thing about Left 4 Dead's multiplayer was that... You had four humans uh, versus the horde of zombies, but also four human-controlled zombies. So it was like a four against four, but it was asymmetrical. You know what I mean? Well, the, that was the, the multiplayer, right? Yeah, I'm talking about like yeah, like the the versus multiplayer mm, mode of Left okay. 4 Dead. Um, and at the time, that was like a really cool, revolutionary, crazy idea. It might not be literally the first game to do it. Uh, definitely not. I mean, I can think of like Conker's Bad Fur Day Beach Mode was asymmetrical, <laughs> but like, uh, but still though, it was very novel and cool. So they took that idea and ran with it with Evolve, which was a game where there were four. Uh, players that played co-op against one giant, like, monster, you know? So maybe it was, like, a giant, I don't know, like, let's just say they're King Kong, right? So (laughs) one player gets to be King Kong while the other four people are, like, heroes. I think they had skill trees, you know? I think they were kind of different classes. A lot of this same kind of stuff that you're talking about with this uh, Warhammer game, but it's just them against this one monster that one person is controlling. Great idea, right? But uh, the the thing that um, so some of the things that crippled the game was first of all, this was a game that was made to sell DLC and not to be a really fun game. Uh, at least that was the message that they sent out by like they were announcing like the pre-order bonus bullshit before they had even announced the game really like the first thing anyone heard about this new game evolve was that there was going to be dlc for it and we're like wait what game um so yeah and and so then when it came out it was like there were very few options for for the players and very few monsters to play as but you could buy more <laughs> and boy oh boy could you buy a lot of shit for this game you know Damn. and so like that that just was a really bad th- message to bring new players in 
Uh, but then also, from what I've heard, I mean, the game just had giant balance issues and bug issues and that kind of stuff that I don't think, you know, by the time they may have gotten that stuff sorted out, the game just had such a bad reputation already that it was kind of the damage had been done, you know? Dude, when the payment model supersedes the the, the probable like writing of the game, that's probably going to be an issue. Yeah, so, like, and it pains me because, like, the idea of the game sounded sweet, you know, uh, but, yeah, it just, you know, then now, you know, stuff like Once Dead by Daylight and that kind yeah. of thing was out, I feel like the, that game kind of did the, the a similar idea a lot better. And I honestly think Dead by Daylight might be a nail in that genre's coffin for a little bit. Uh, I think Dead by Daylight has grown so huge that as... I mean, it's like known as the asynchronous multiplayer game right now, I would say. Yeah, or asymmetric. Asymmetrical, yeah. Um, yeah, asynchronous would be like uh, Phantom Abyss or some shit like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's like, I, I don't know if there's like a certain level of fatigue with it. I know with Left 4 Dead, there certainly is because there's so many people who've played and burnt out on the game because of frustrations for different reasons or another. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like when, when you brought up... Uh, having a big co-op against a single enemy, I, not thinking about the PvP part of it, I actually was thinking about Destiny the first time you mentioned it. Um, and I remember how much that game kind of also blended MMO-style mechanics with a first-person shooter experience. And it's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, obviously, it's a different uh, template, I guess you'd say, where I'd say Destiny, in many ways, has the... DNA of Halo in it, where this is obviously the DNA of Left 4 Dead, like no joke. Um, I looked it up, and I was the, the, the develop is uh, for Vermintide is actually a company called Fat Shark, and I wanted to see if they had done anything prior uh, in the Left 4 Dead style, and they've got a few different games um, called like Blood Sports TV, Escape Dead Island, War of the Vikings, War of the Roses. I don't know if that's all the same kind of thing though, but. Vermintide seems to be their only Warhammer thing so far. So it's crazy because of how good it's going. Um, I I know, okay, so it's actually, the first game is called Warhammer End Times Vermintide. Um, I guess I need to play that now because this game is so fun. But like, it's it's gotten so big with Vermintide 2 that they actually apparently announced Darktide, which is a 40,000, a Warhammer 40K variant essentially gotcha. game. yeah 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 and i haven't seen anything but oh dude i'm looking at the re- oh man <laughs> it's got dan abnett listed as the writer for this game holy shit okay are you a, you're, are you a warhammer fan no i well i mean i don't hate it but i i just don't know anything about it fair fair and that's that's totally fine because there's a fuck ton to know about it there's like warhammer is like one of the longest running fantasy universes out there with like one of the most fleshed out like god there's so much shit but between even with like one legion of of oh god there's so much you could do anyway uh yeah so you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier by comparing it to the like the starcraft thing i think this game is going to be quite a lot like if uh if 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 left for dead could be a first person shooter in the future like 40k and i'm i'm just going to go ahead and assume the enemy here is tyranids so uh i think it was called the zerg in space starcraft i never played yeah, starcraft yeah. I don't think the Zerg are, I think the Zerg, aren't the Zerg like a sentient, like alien intelligent race or something? 
Uh, yeah. Well, they have an overmind, and like cerebrates, there are in there are intelligent beings at the top of the of the um whatever you call it, like society, right? Uh, yeah. But then the ones at the bottom, without a cerebrate controlling them, are feral. Okay. So in 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 forty k, tyranids are essentially. Um, I guess you could describe them as the universe's garbage disposal, uh, except they're aggressively so. So they're they're kind of like xenomorphs, if you think about that, uh, in, in the aliens kind of universe, in that they're just perfectly bred killing machines. They're just insectoid. They they have a hive mind. So I don't think any of them actually have like a central, like a, their own kind of, there's no personality, essentially. They're all just monsters of various different sizes and shapes that are just perfectly designed to rend flesh and separate bone from 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 people <laughs> so like I, I assume that's going to be what they're going to do with this but dude if just just knowing how good vermintide 2 is like gameplay wise alone i'm i gotta see how this is going to happen because they vermintide 2 does melee weapons so well uh I would argue two-handed uh, weapons a lot better than one-handed, but it does it so well that every strike, uh, when you're not just spamming away in a recruit difficulty, feels like it's got purpose or it needs to have purpose. So there, with the amount of precision involved with a first-person shooter melee kind of thing that you'd think is spammy, there's a lot of tactics into it. I can't wait to see that shit with chain swords. <laughs> So so in 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 40k, you know, uh their melee weapons are futuristic cuz they still have melee weapons apparently. Obviously if you're orcs they're still just like fucking, you know, choppas. They're just they're just axes and shit. But uh you know, the space marines and and chaos space marines, they have chain swords, chain axes which that's not that's not a, like a sword with a chain attached to it like Kratos or some shit. That's actually like a chain sword bladed sword like a chainsaw bladed sword or a chainsaw bladed axe with an actual motorized function to it like you you hit people and you hear it's like fucking satisfying as shit blood goes everywhere it's fun uh then they have like power swords which are just like actual swords with like a, a plasma like superheated like layer around it so it'll cut through anything there's there's so much Web, there's so many ways to fuck something up in the Warhammer universe that like I can't wait to see how it gets used in the future when there's more than just swords and and guns and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um I wanted to uh uh finish what I you know, I don't even remember what my original point was bringing up Turtle Rock and how like the the, the, the DLC model with the paid shit, um yeah. That's oh, so the thing after they did after Evolve, though, I mean, I, I I glanced at their Wikipedia page and I guess that they had some other stuff that they made, but that but uh, the Back for Blood is that developer now, but away from Valve, right? So, oh, so it is the same de uh, dev. So Back for Blood is Turtle Rock, yes, oh. but without Valve, and everything I've seen of Back for Blood looks very not good. Oh. Uh, like it looks like an extreme, like a, it looks like a big step back from Left 4 Dead, you know? Where Left 4 Dead had a lot of really cool shit in it besides just the, um, besides just the, uh, uh, what? Oh, what the hell was I saying? Oh, just like the, the horde mode kind of like, uh, revolutionary 
game genre that kind of we hadn't seen before. It also had just a lot of really cool stuff like physics mixed with animations where like when you shot a zombie who was running the way that they would like still kind of step forward even though they were ragdolling, you know, and it made like dying zombies look really cool and dynamic, right? Um, and the way that like they were so careful about, you know, they put all the light sources low to the ground because that casts zombie shadows on walls and then everything oh. looks scarier yeah. right like there's all this kind of stuff I didn't like think about and, that yeah they, oh yeah because when you had swarms you'd see the shadows on the building lights before you'd see them actually run the, around the corner that's a good yeah. point yeah and it's it's like a very deliberate choice that all of the light sources in the game are from a low angle mm. um and 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 uh and the thing is just from what i've seen of, of back for blood like none of that kind of stuff is there um, also things like, uh, in Left 4 Dead, besides a couple really cheesy spots, the zombies could generally get you no matter where you were, you know, but in Back for Blood, they're like a lot stupider and can't really climb around on stuff as well, you know, and I don't know. It just looks like a janky clone game, you know? Um, um I, I'm going to draw two comparisons here. One back to Vermintide because we're talking about Vermintide. Yeah. Um, Vermintide does that very well. Um, but second, uh, just because this is a shorter point, I, I fully agree that it feels like there's something missing. And I actually think a lot of that comes down to the engine. Uh, I want to say it uses the Unity engine, which, fair choice, because uh, I think a lot of... I, I think Phasmophobia uses that engine. It, feel, it felt this very same... It felt like I was playing Phasmophobia, uh, Are you talking honestly. about Vermintide right now? No, no, I'm sorry. I'm talking about... Uh, uh, Back, Back for Blood. Blood, yeah. Oh, okay. So Back for Blood, uh, it's not on the Source engine, and I think the Source engine was one of the things that kind of made the Back for the Left for Dead experience feel as smooth as it did, because at that point the Source engine was very like relevant. I think. Yeah, I agree, and I just looked it up, and apparently Back for Blood is on Unreal Four. Unreal Four. Okay, so I was thinking Unity, but either way, it's you can very much tell that it doesn't feel like Left 4 Dead from the engine. Like, you yeah. know something's immediately different. Um, and I think that probably has a lot to do with what the, the difference in mechanics that you're seeing. But I will say um, Vermintide does th the, th the first thing you're talking about very well with the enemies. Like, you're talking about how if it was a zombie and you, like, attacked them, you would see them still kind of walk forward because they're a zombie like that's that's part of the fear aspect is i'm fighting a corpse right now that's trying to fight me and it's falling apart but it's still coming at me um that happens in vermintide and i think probably uh for the kind of game it is uh is the reason that they chose to go with a certain faction of chaos um so it, I guess uh, to simplify this, in the in the Warhammer universe, there are four main chaos gods. Uh, one of the gods is called Nurgle. He's the god of rot, pestilence, uh, and and essentially ever living life uh, un until you just become a puddle of sludge. Like you, uh, characters in this universe are, are, are most notably really fucking big, but like from swelling. And, and rot like their actual flesh is like dense armor uh they basically feel no pain um it is kind of one of their things so they're almost like living zombies uh nurgle is known for uh his his uh his care of his, his followers so he he wants his followers to feel no pain so he makes it so you know all their nerve endings rot and die so anyway 
when you kill an enemy, even like the basest level of like zombie, the ones like that'll die in one hit from a single swing, um, <laughs> the Dynasty Warriors enemy, I guess I could call them, uh, they they don't they kind of stand there. Like you can take a even if it's a hammer, you can decapitate them, and they'll actually still kind of just walk forward still and until they kind of either collapse on their knees or fall over um you're not done with them i guess after a lot of strikes is what is largely the feeling you start to get um a lot of the times i've found myself after doing a heavy strike trying to figure out if i need to hit that enemy again or if i have time or, or if i'm safe to move on to the next target because there's been times where i've hit a zombie straight in the head and honestly i've pretty sure i smashed his fucking skull into his shoulders and uh, i still got hit from behind by that same character so there's 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 things that make it seem like you're legit fighting the living dead in in this game it it, it does a good job at climbing as well you mentioned they didn't do so well in climbing and back for blood um no matter where you are <laughs> where you are in this game the game does a very good job of making it show, making sure you can be reached by at least two of like the mobs at all times so yeah. if you can't be actually i haven't even found a place yet where uh i can't have like a thousand of like the simplest mob just climb like run up to me and of course you know you can see them climbing up to you you can kill them while they're climbing up to you but they're going to reach you no matter where you are. And that's actually one of the biggest looming threats in the game is because um, I think one of the reasons that this game is different from Left for Dead or Back for Blood is in, in, in a, my friend Jay actually mentioned this earlier. Uh, I t- totally agree with it. In, in Left for Dead, you're kind of encouraged almost to take choke points and say, hey, let's encamp here. I got this health kit you have the least health. I'm going to go in front of you. I'm going to start uh, fucking just shooting in this hallway. Give me supporting fire from behind. We'll wait till the horde is done. Um, if you do that in Warhammer, you will either get left behind by your teammates who are furiously running forward to try and find some, uh, some loot dice or, or like, a, or like just, just literally just trying to get in the leaderboards. Like, cause you're competing against each other in score as well. So you know the dps will be running forward to get as many kills as they can or something like that and they can do that because it's a risk so you know you can go ahead of the group you can you can get left behind the group but either way if you're ahead or left behind you'll get sniped by something i don't mean literally sniped i mean like a hook rat will climb to where right. you are because they can climb literally anywhere or uh, uh there's like a chaos sorcerer called a uh, a leech they call them leeches where like essentially they hover you in midair and start life stealing you or uh or they've got like a another chaos sorcerer that creeps uh, they, i think they're called a, a blight stormer where they create this little like you'll see a chaos green chaos logo start greening uh, glowing on the ground and then all of a sudden you'll start levitating and all of a sudden there's this green fire hurricane you're caught in and now you're in a crowd control spell and then you get flung out possibly you know above or below a level where all your teammates are and um that's another thing that separates teammates a lot in this game is uh, we've all dropped down to this area. This guy is up here because he go he wanted to provide some range DPS or whatever. But uh, all that means is now we're all down here fighting, and this guy up here that was trying to provide support, hook rat sniped something can be killed, and uh, we can't get to him because there's no ladders. So like it's very much a game where you're being forced to move. You can't really take choke points for any more than a small amount of time. So you're always on your feet and i like that sweet um, 
and and one last thing about uh, Back for Blood. Did you play the beta? No. Okay, so I I played the beta. Um, I had very little hope for it, so I went in not a fan, and that was purely because of what sounds to be our almost identical Left 4 Dead experience. Uh, I kind of it's kind of left with a bad taste in my mouth, and honestly, I played so much of the first game that I burnt out on it pretty bad. So the formula was stale for me for a good decade. Uh, and and when I went back to Back for Blood, and I played this before Vermintide, mind you, but uh, I went back to it, and I will say I was impressed. I I was not at all. I mean, I was expecting the room to room hordes, you deal with this and that, but like. I would say the game is actually a pretty good step forward in terms of weapon customization. Um, maybe not so much customization, but and how you want to combat with the enemy. Like, I want to say with Left 4 Dead, if memory serves, you kind of just found a weapon and used it till its ammo ran out, or uh, or you could maybe have, like, wasn't there a mode kind of like how you'd start off in Counter-Strike where you have a wheel, a weapon wheel, and you could kind of choose a weapon to use for a little while? Uh, I haven't really played Counter-Strike either, but, oh, okay. but you're, you're right in that, yeah, Left 4 Dead, there wasn't really, there wasn't any weapon customization from what I remember. Yeah, and, and Back for Blood, I think you actually choose your weapon. You, you actually have to buy it, kind of like uh, Counter-Strike, I want to say. At least how, that's how I remember it in the beta. Um, so you get more to play with right off the bat. So there's, there's the idea that you can figure out what character you like to play, I guess. I don't think the characters mattered. I think just the weapons mattered. Um, so you just kind of went through it like that. And I didn't care about the game enough to keep playing it after the beta or even to buy the game. But I would say it's a little bit... I, I would say it's better than Left 4 Dead 2 um, in the combat. Maybe not so much as what you're saying now, though, because I, I never really got the whole lighting thing you're talking about in order to you know, the, the low lighting to make all the, the, the crowds kind of stand out against the walls and such. But I would say give it a shot if you liked Left 4 Dead and then judge it off that. It, it really doesn't feel like a big leap behind, I would say. Mm, okay. But Vermintide is better. <laughs> um, it, it pretty much does everything Left 4 Dead didn't do that keeps me going back to it. Because there's, I mean, you can, you have four classes per character. Technically, Sienna, the fire mage, doesn't have her DLC class yet. I think they're still working on that. So she's just got three. But each other one has four. And you can play them however you want, of course, like I said. But the weapons that you start out with uh, are very shitty, but you have a choice. You can go, okay, well, uh, I'm, an, I'm a dwarven ranger uh whatever uh i i can use <laughs> i can use uh what's called a handgun which is actually like almost like a 22 rifle uh without a sight um you can use a crossbow you can use what's called a repeater crossbow uh on on victor it's like a it's like a crossbow with like a box of arrows just sitting on top uh you can use uh, a hammer a, like a great hammer or a hammer, or a hammer and shield, an axe and shield, a great axe. They all do different types of damage. There's, there's swords. Um, what I'm trying to say is when you start off, there's like 10 different ways you can have fun with a character you're playing. And it's unique to that character. So like you have to play a character that no one else has picked. So like if you start a match in quick play, you could, uh, you could host it and people can join. But if you're playing the character you want to play, they can't play that that character. There's no duplicates. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah, there's there's lots to it. I, I would I would encourage people to try it for sure. 
Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, you had a game that you mentioned uh, that's actually retro. <laughs> Mine's that's not so right. retro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in in my in between my Final Fantasy VII runs, you know, usually when they die, I've got a couple PlayStation games that I've been playing. Dude, cra- of- congrats on six. What six fifty? Six forty eight. Holy I got shit, now. man! Sub six fifty at least. Six forty eight. Nice, man. Six forty eight. Twelve is my is my newest PB. Um, Speaking of which, I've actually spent the last like couple weekends hard nerding out on some new cutting edge speed tech uh, oh. for FF7. There is a, a cutting edge new sp- speed strat for one part of the game, uh, but it is insanely complicated to Turbo know controller? Like, how it works. No, no. So I'm talking about the elevator manipulation. Um, I won't go too far into it, but let, but like to give you an idea, um, there's the part of the game where you get to the Shinra HQ and you mm-hmm. can either take the stairs or go up the elevator, right? Uh, when I first started running, everyone took the stairs. Uh, it was just generally understood and believed as far as I knew that the stairs were faster. Um, but also, that was back when uh, people would buy an extra cover materia and use two covers uh, for safety later in the game. But it turns out that if you don't buy that second cover, you can afford 12 more grenades. And with those 12 more grenades, you can get through the elevator oh. if you get a, 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 if you get few enough battles because it's random. And uh, on average, on average, the elevator's faster. It's got a chance to be even faster if you uh, if you get lucky, or it's got a chance to completely ruin your run uh, if you get way too many stops, way too many battles. The battles are bad. You lose a bunch of time, and you spend too many grenades, and then your run is dead an hour in. How many? Um, uh, oh, so an hour in. Okay, I was going to say, how far yeah, in is it? Yeah, it's an hour in, the, the, the elevator is. So... But because on average it's faster, so now everyone takes the elevator for the most part, um, at least like the people going for better times, uh, will take the elevator for their chance for a minute time save, two minutes time save maybe. Um, But uh, uh, it's super frustrating because it's really random how how many battles you get in as you ascend uh, the elevator. And what's um, the variance? How many would you say, like between two and ten? Uh, so you the, the elevator will do generally between four and six stops, which doesn't really sound like that big of a variance. Wait a second, let me think about this. <laughs> I mean, One, okay, so two battles, I mean, even if you run, that's what like at least 15 20 seconds. Uh, well, you can't run in the elevator, you oh, can't fuck. escape the battles, yeah. Oh, so it really so, is a risk. So, yeah, it, it goes between four and six stops, but any one of the stops might be not a battle. Um, on if you if you land on so so you start on floor six and you go up to floor fifty nine, and every jump is between seven and 15 floors at least seven as many as 15 floors you can jump in one go 
and uh, and each floor has a battle associated to it, unless it's floor 29, 38, 47, or 56. <laughs> those uh, those four floors, instead, the doors open. It's like a joke. There's like a guy behind the door, and he's like, oh, oh, no, and he runs away, you know, and then the doors just close and you go again, you know? That's cute. Uh, yeah, so it's it's like super awesome if you get that multiple times in a run you know what i mean like you 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 go in like the best possible thing to happen but this is like a one in one thousand chance right is that you go into the elevator you get one encounter because you have to and then and then boom floor 29 floor 38 floor 47 floor 59 right uh because 59 is the end we're just getting all those floors right all the floors with the guy that's surprised yep okay so um that that is inc- super fast if that happens but it's insanely unlikely and then the thing that's just really frustrating about having this variance in the speedrun is that um even though on average it's faster than the stairs the inconsistency is frustrating because if you get a pb with a good elevator now you have to run against that and it's like time loss every time that you have just an average one or a below average one you know so we've been working on a way to manipulate the elevator to get you that one encounter and then three managers and then you're at the top path every time but it's very complicated because it um not only starts at a random spot like the your rng tape the R, the game's rng like table that it uses to decide what floors you land on is going to start in a different position every time that you get to the elevator in a run you know uh and then on top of that everything afterward is frame perfect uh in order to do it so so like after me- a certain floor Let's let's real quickly discuss exactly how it works, all right? Okay. So, it, when you are in a field in Final Fantasy VII, which is the that's what that's what we call something that is not a battle, it's not the menu, it's not the world map, and it's not a mini game, right? It's just a place that you're in, you've got your little cloud that runs around, you're you're on a field, right? That's what that terminology means when you are on a field there is a specific rng table that the game uses for its rng values uh it's very similar it's similar to how a few other games do it like doom which is that instead of having some kind of weird bitwise function or whatever to generate random numbers they've got a list a literal hard-coded in-the-game list of every number from 0 to 255 arranged in a pseudo-random order. You know what I mean? It's just hard-coded in the game. Here are, is every number from... 255. From 0 to 255. So it is every number from 0 to 255, right? All 256 of those numbers just scrambled up and then written on the game. Here they are. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, it, it's it's like they took a deck of cards and shuffled it, right? They shuffled it a bunch. Okay, it's shuffled, and now this order of the deck of cards is the order that this game always has. You're not seeing this though. This is just something you're encountering. Is what I'm. Is what I guess what I'm curious about. This is something that has been mined out of the game, essentially. You know what I mean? Like this so, is like, something not, we not know visual. about it. Yeah. Okay. So every time that the game wants a random number. 
it it calls for a random number and it goes to the next one on that list, right? Does that make sense? Just this hard-coded yeah, yeah. list of numbers that is in this order and it gets them in this order. What, what, uh, so, uh, go mm-hmm. ahead, go ahead. I was going to say so, what, what triggers the change, but go ahead. Oh, everything that is random. Oh, so okay. yeah, yeah. So anytime that anything on a field map wants a random number, it gets the next one on this list. Uh, that's just how it works. And so your position on that list we refer to as your list value. Uh, and so oh. that's something that's something that you can look at, like in your RAM values. If you do, if you're like on an emulator and you and you're looking at different memory addresses, you know, uh, there's one that refers to your index position on that list. You know, uh, so you can, as you see, random events trigger. Uh, like an- different animations or, or different things, uh, you can see that index say zero, one, two, three, four, you know, until it wraps it back around to zero. It gets more complicated, though. There is another value uh, that we refer to as stone, but you can also call it an incrementer. Um, it, it changes how many values the list jumps when a random number is called. So once something changes your stone value, that now makes it so that instead of just looking at the next number on the list, it looks that many numbers down instead. So instead of looking at list value 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, your stone might be 33. And your so stone na- is where you physically are, like the value of in the memory where you physically are on the map? Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with, you mean like clouds coordinates? Yeah. No, nothing to do with that. Okay. It, it is simply like, if, uh, I kind of forget the word stone. It's kind of weird that it's called okay. that. Not part um, of the it, field then. Cor- correct. It's right. part of the field RNG logic. Gotcha. So I mentioned that every time a random number is asked for, it just looks at the next thing on the list. That's because your incrementer is one. So it looks one oh, number down okay. the list every time. Yeah. But something might change it to 33. <laughs> so not so now you're at zero, but the next time the game wants a random number, it jumps thirty three numbers down the list and looks at that one, you know, and it keeps doing that. Uh, and that number, I'm gonna keep, I'm uh, I'm gonna call it stone because it's just what we call it, and so it's gonna come out naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that number though, it can only be any number uh, that is a a multiple of sixteen plus one. So it can be zero, seventeen, thirty three. 49 and so on um and and those are the numbers uh so here is exactly how the elevator works all right so you start on floor six and when you press the button first you press the button right there's a button on the elevator that you have to press and it lands you on a floor you press the button 50 frames of animations happen right cloud raises his hand up he hits the button it makes a sound effect the game thinks for a second right exactly exactly 50 frames after you hit that button well actually exactly 51 frames after you hit the button the game uh takes the oh Okay, so when you're in the elevator, by the way, the game is counting every single frame. There is a there is a guy who's like behind the walls, you can't see him, but he is a model that has a script on him that every single frame it counts up. 
and for some reason it rolls over at 254. Not 256. For some reason it's hard-coded that if it's 254, reset it to zero. But well, otherwise beca- it's... Because zero is the first digit, right? 255 characters or uh, instances total, right? Uh, so. Well, you would expect it to roll over at 256 because it's an 8-bit value and it can carry up to 255. Oh. But mm. for some fucking reason, they hard-coded it to, re- to roll over at 254 instead, uh, hmm. which, which messes with a lot of the math when you're trying to do this stuff, um, when you're trying That's to like, manipulate the actual it. cause, honestly. <laughs> uh, well, so here's exactly, exactly how it works. So... Um, that guy, that model that's behind the wall is counting up every single frame. And when you press the button, it waits 50 frames or 51 frames. Uh, and then it takes his value, his number that he's currently on. Let's say it's 160, right? And it uh, actually, so that I can, so that I can do this properly i'm gonna straight up bring up a calculator while i talk about this let's say it's 160 that's the frame number that we're on when it decides to do the calculation all right it takes that number and it does mod 16 on it which means it divides it by 16 and returns the remainder yeah the remainder um so the remainder in that case is zero So it takes that number and uses it to find you a new stone value, which means, like I said before, it's just any number 0 through 15 times 16 plus 1. So it takes that 160, mod mod 16, that makes 0, times 16 plus 1 means it's 1, right? That's your new stone. It sets that as stone now. So then your list value, let's say it was 124 when you went into the uh, when you went into the elevator, it's going to add 1 to that cuz that's your new incrementer, that's your stone. So it adds 1 to that. That gives you a new num- uh, a new number of 125. Um so then that means that the game looks 125 spots down the table of ran- of predetermined random values to find out what the 125th number is. Uh, this part I can't actually factually do because I don't know what that refers to, but let's just say it's 67, right? Let's just say, okay, 67, that's your number. It takes that number, mods it by 16, then mods it by 9, and then add seven. When you say which mod, is, are you dividing or multiplying? That mod means divide, and you return the remainder. Return so the remainder. Like, okay, gotcha. So like nineteen mod sixteen is three, right? Because right. it just rolled over at sixteen and then counted up to three. Okay. Um. So in my example there, that 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 final value that you get is ten. Uh, you will get a number between seven and fifteen, and that's how many floors you jump. Right, that's how many floors you go up. And ten floors. Uh, so in this case, it was ten floors. Ten floors because of the, yeah, okay. So so you found you do you have like an actual formula that you can plug numbers into here? Like, do you know what your stone value is before you enter the elevator? Not during a speed run on console normally. Well, stone stone actually yes you do know that that gets set to 33 when you do the squats mini game and it doesn't move from there so uh so you know stone but you don't know what your list is because your list value is uh you know it's just everything in field maps that is using rng is constantly incrementing that value you know and so by the time you get to the elevator 
uh, unaided, you would know just, you just wouldn't know what it's at. Until now, uh, there is a uh, FF7 mad scientist by the name of, uh, I've seen him Brutal AI is his name on forums, but I've also seen Brutal Speed is his name on Twitch. But uh, he actually created a spreadsheet where if, as you, relatively, relatively soon before you get to the elevator, you have to visit Eris's house after the plate drops, you know, you run to Eris's house and there's like the flashback scene there. If you look at the waterfall, you can, it, it, it is using your list value in order to sparkle, Hmm. you know? Like it's that's one of the things that uses the RNG table is is the rate at which the elevator sparkles. Wait, 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 hang on. When you say sparkle, you don't mean like there's like a material in the background. You mean like it's, there's like an actual image, like you can see something happening with the area around you. Yeah, there is like, a waterfall on Eris's house screen. Yeah, on, it's on like in the background, field. right? Yes. Yeah. And it's basically the way it's animated is it has like two frames, you know, and it just flashes between them kind of like like really what we're looking at is the part where the water crashes, you know, the crashy bottom part of a waterfall that has like two frames. It can either be small or it can be big, you know, and you have to like count how long like basically if you take up a stopwatch, you know how there's a lap button and you can like save the lap but the timer keeps timing if you are what basically what people are going to have to do and this sounds a little sketchy maybe if you're um uh, if you're if you're not into this kind of thing with speed runs but what people are going to have to do is record you're recording because you're streaming yeah. but then you run into Eris's house and then during the long cutscene that you get into you need to look back at your recording and probably play it back at like 25% speed and like time like lap time these waterfall glows <laughs> and then if you and then if you enter the time cuz they can be there's three values it can be if you play it back at 25% speed it's like they can be either they can be either um like 0.1 seconds apart 1.5 oh seconds apart or two seconds apart something okay, well, like those that are, those right? are very different wide variances okay or, so that'll help but like 0.5 seconds like yeah okay or yeah it's <laughs> what it's either 0.5 one, uh 1.5 or two or something yeah. like that there's um, a second in between each interval so you can kind of yeah. just get it so and so you take the last like nine of them that you saw and put it in this spreadsheet that brutal made and it tells you what list value you're on and it tells your list value chain is that dynamic through the game yeah it's just it's a it it is just just in one of the okay so you're 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 bringing up the waterfall because this is right before the shinra scene i see yes okay yeah it's the it's like the last uh it's the last like reliable thing that you can use to look at to determine what list you're on whether or not the elevator is going to screw you uh well no because we're going to fix it we're going to fix the elevator oh. using this. 
Um, which is why I kind of wanted to work backwards before. We'll get back to the waterfall because let's just say you do. Okay, well, no, 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 we're far enough. So the spreadsheet tells you if you, you know, if you do all of your movement from then on exactly correctly. Sometimes, like frame perfect, you got to be on a couple screens. Uh, then you will get to the elevator on a known list value. All right. So now you actually know what part, where on the RNG table you are going into the elevator. So with that amount of information, I actually spent the last couple weeks writing a Python script that, uh, it's, oh boy. So it use everything that I just told you is extremely important about like, (laughs) about like, okay, so it counts up a number every single frame. And then when you press a button 50 frames later, it does this exact calculation of these mods and this number plus that number. It looks it up in the RNG table and that gives you that jump, right? Okay. So I wrote a script that, uh, it takes your starting list value and it simulates if you were to press the button on these 16 frames, which the very first thing that it does is it mod 16's the elevator count, which means from any position you can only have 16 possible outcomes that it just loops between, right? So, um, so it takes all 16 of those and it like simulates this is what floor you would land on if you press the button on this frame. And the first thing it does is you're going to get a battle at first. There's no way to get straight to a manager. It's too high up. So, but the best fights you can get are floors 15, 17, or 19. So, also, there's no way to, like, Wait, hang get- on. Best fights? Yeah, as in those floors have faster fights oh, than the okay. other floors. Gotcha. Um, so you would like to land on 15, 17, or 19. So at first, the script finds a window of those three floors in a row on your list. It says, if you were to hit the button on this frame, this frame, or this frame, all in a row, you get 15, 17, and 19. Uh, not repeating. It can't be two 17s. It can't be two 19s. Because if that happened and you landed on 19, you don't know where you are anymore because it's one of those two. And you need to keep track of your frame counts here. So, uh, so it finds you a window of those three, but not repeating. And, uh, and it, and it tells you, okay, so if you, okay, so what you actually do then is when you walk into the elevator, you hold triangle that (laughs) that way. Yes. You're just holding triangle because that way, as soon as you gain control of cloud, you go into the menu and it freezes the, the frame counter at frame 81. It's 81 frames in (laughs) and, and that freezes the frame counter because now you're in a menu. And, uh, and then what the script does is it takes that frame window of those three frames, it targets the middle one, and it converts it to a milliseconds value, where you then have to put that into a little program we use called Flow Timer, which I believe was originally made for getting the best Pokemon starter and Pokemon speedruns. Hell yeah. Because that's based on frame-perfect button presses as well. So they made a timer that, you know, goes boop, 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 Wait, 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 Gen 1? Right? 
I think so. I don't know. One of them. I, I don't I, I'm not a Pokemon. <laughs> I'm not a Pokemon speedrunner. Yeah, but basically, what it does is, yeah, you put in like you know twenty thousand four hundred thirty-three milliseconds, right? And so then it counts that down, and then at the end of it, uh, it goes boop 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 boop, right? And you have to know, okay, it's on the fifth beep that I hit the button, right? Uh, and so and so, boom! You use that to boom. You want to nail that that exact frame but like i said it's targeting a window of three so you can be a frame early or you can be a frame late and you will land on a good starting floor because it's going to be 15 17 or 19 right then what the script does that i wrote is it uh it it takes the first one let's say let's say you got 17 it then simulates um, well, it already did this ahead of time, by the way. So this is something that you that I've already run for every single list value. And now when I'm actually in a run, I just have a notepad document that has literally every single thing routed out on it, you know? So this script was just to prepare. But what it did, right, was it found that window of, of three. And then it says, okay, if you landed on 17, that means now you're on a new list value and these are your next 16 possibilities and uh and it needs to locate a jump that'll land you on floor 29 cuz that's your first manager and then it takes and then it takes that updated value and says okay so let's just say you're on 429 now to get to there you had to get to this list value which means that your next 16 possibilities on the 16 different frames are these and so uh, which one of those is a jump of nine? Because that gets you on 37, right? Output that, and then take that new list value, those 16 new possibilities, locate another nine, because that, that jump puts you on 447. Then do the same thing, but locate 12 or greater, because that puts you on 59. Boom, that is your complete manipulation for that floor. And now do all of that again for if, they, if you hit the middle frame of the three-frame window, and then do all of that again for if you hit the third of the three-frame window. So... What that means is as a player, like I said, you get um I just it's it's all the script already created a manipulation for every single starting list value that's compatible and uh, and it's just in a notepad document. So what I would do now is use that spreadsheet to tell me what list I'm on, then go to my document, go down to the list value that I'm on and it has okay, set your timer for this many milliseconds. And so what you have to do then is close, I, I mentioned that when you get into the elevator, you hold the menu button. So you close the menu at the same time that you start the timer and run up and hit the button the first time. So because you're speed running your speed run. <laughs> that, 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 uh, that initiates a cutscene, and then that, boom, that times your first button press. Awesome. Everything after the button press is much more controllable. So what happens is what the script outputs for you, let's say you're, you're on a manip uh, of like floor 15 is your starting floor. What the actual script outputs uh, after that is then it, it, it outputs something like four frames, 10 frames, seven frames, two frames, right, is what it says for each floor. And so what that means to the player is you fight your first battle, and then every like everything f after the first button press is very precisely frame counted. Um, the first button press has to be based on time because there's a cutscene that can't be done frame perfectly. You know. Well, but hang on. So okay, so okay, fr frame perfectly. You're saying 
Are you saying when you start a battle, you have four frames to input a button? No. So okay. here's exactly what it means. Oh, thank uh, God. The, 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 first, the first button press, there's a cutscene in there, like, while the frame count is going on. And so you can't be precise with it because you'd have to mash through the text exactly the same yeah. way every time and all that kind of stuff. So that's why that one is handled by a timer. But after that, once you hit that button the first time and you get the floor that you're expecting, that means you hit that button on an expected floor. And so you know that you're on the right frame count, you know? And so the script, which has already done the math for the rest of it, is now able to be followed. And how it works is that Cloud runs down the party gets ready, and then a battle initiates. And during the battle, the frame counter isn't going because it's a field script, right? So it freezes during battles. Then, after the battle, the elevators close, and you gain control of Cloud again after a specific number of frames. Um, and this is stuff that I've, I just had to personally, like, just frame-by-frame frame count out, you know? I had to, like, end a battle have you know ram watch up pause the emulator and just like frame advance hitting a key <laughs> counting it until like i got control again in order to get these values right so you've been developing the strat on an emulator yeah okay just um, kind of like monitor the progress i guess well to make it possible i mean you, you oh. to, in, in order in order to figure this shit out yeah i had to mm. be able to read ram values and stuff that is um, fucking insane man that, that that you can like okay that you can say essentially i need <laughs> higher than initial uh i need higher than the initial tools developed for the developers to make this game in order to science this game down to as, as few hours as possible it's crazy oh, yeah. that you have and to some, go through you, you 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 wrote a python script that's right. insane man some people aren't into this part of speedrunning. some people think that like <laughs> okay this game this game is too optimized now and the people are doing <laughs> bullshit um but uh but basically what it comes down to is after the battle ends and you gain control of cloud if you just walk upward you walk up to the button right and then just like before with the with the menuing to know what frame you're on you hit menu right you got to time a menu hit you try to time your menu hit frame perfect and you know it's frame perfect because as cloud walks up he bumps into the button and his hair the spike on his hair turns oh and so when you so you're aiming for a certain frame where it's like it where but because of his hair you know how many frames you took so if his hair looks a certain way you know that you hit the button a frame early if it Jesus. looks a different way you hit it right on if it looks a different way you hit you hit it a frame late if it looks a different way you hit it two frames how how, how does his hair look different is he like are, are the, you talking he's got about that like, big spike on his hair so he's got the big spike right but like why am I thinking it's always been static just based off of the, the direction that he's looking? Like, how does his hair change? No, that is what it is. He, when, so at, so oh. when, you, when you walk up in the elevator, he will at some point bump into the button, which will turn him 45 degrees left. Oh, it turns his left. model. Okay, yes. gotcha, gotcha, okay. And, uh, but it does it, like, kind of smoothly. There's like, there's, like, three frames of him turning. Mm. And so it gives a really easy visual indicator of whether you hit 
hit the button on the right frame or not. Nice. So let's say you were frame perfect and you hit the you hit menu on just the right spot. Remember, menuing freezes the elevator counter. So mm-hmm. what that means now is that I mentioned that the script outputs a a something like ten frames, five frames, three frames, seven frames, or something, right? So you're looking at the first one right now, ten. Uh, and and if you hit the button frame perfect, or, or not the button, if you hit menu frame perfect, that means it's ten frames later that you need to actually hit the button. Exactly ten frames later, and you know that because everything is very controlled at this point. So if you exit the menu and hold triangle during the menu exit, it will advance one frame and then bring the menu back up. Wow. So you do that 10 times, which advances 10 frames exactly. And then the last time as you close the menu, you hold circle to hit the button. Yeah, for are me. You, are you doing this on a turbo controller, by the way? I think I asked no. that before. So turbo uh, would fuck this up big time because I that think it, you, yeah. I yeah. think it would too because you, you you would have you would have off timing because it's either on or off at a specific interval and you're kind of just gambling. It's kind of RNG at a certain point. I get that, but like yeah, with uh, with with fucking menus at one fr- dude one frame is like that's a lot. That's a well, lot to predict at once. At this point, though, now it's though that like if you hit if if Cloud's hair looked this way, you know that you were two frames late. Well, so, okay. I, I guess I need to also ask. So uh, let's get. <laughs> I hesitate to say let's get into the technical aspect of this, but uh, <laughs> this game is a sixty hertz game, right? It's running well, sixty hertz, but is it a thirty frames game? Fields are thirty frames per second. Okay, so you kind of almost have twice the buffer size than I was thinking here. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's better because I was thinking this is you have a one in the 60 chance to hit what you're trying to hit. I was like, what the fuck? That's, that's a lot of timing. Like that you have to get down perfect. Um, but you know, but twice you the do, odds is you have a full, so, so as far as each individual floor goes, when you need to hit the, the menu, uh, on the frame, perfect, you have a four frame window at that point. Five, if you're like really, uh, observant, um, actually, I mean, honestly, if you're super, super quick and observant, there's like, Eight different positions that you could that you could research. Um, I can only quickly identify four of them, uh, so I just use that four frame window. You know, but, literally, uh, you're off one word, and the word is punish, and then immediately you'd be talking high level fighting game talk. Oh sure. <laughs> um, so so what? Well, there is a there. You do you can get punished in this because like. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, oh, oh, okay. So let's say you needed a 10 framer, but you were two frames late from the perfect position, right? So now you only need to wait eight frames. You need to do the menu buffer eight times and then hit the button. Boom. That'll give you a manager, right? The next, here's the thing though, is positions zero, which is the perfect one and negative one, which is one early, right? Those two are fine. But if you hit position one or two, where you're one or two frames late, that also makes it so that it takes Cloud an extra frame to run back to the party after he hits the button because he button, walks yeah. too far up. So that means that the next time, when you know when it says when the you know my, my when the notes that my script outputted say that you need to wait six frames for the next one, you need to remember you actually only have to wait five. 
because wow. you already took that frame after the first after the previous button press. So, um, how many times, like within a minute, does this calculation happen? Like, how many? Uh, like, do you, obviously, you go to the elevator button once, and then you come back, and then you have your result. But like, does that happen on a per floor basis? Yeah, each time Jesus. you hit the button, it uh, it it does a calculation. So, so the potential to be off here by the end is quite high, I would think. Well, that's what all the menu buffering is for, is that it makes it, once you're in there, it's controlled, oh, okay, you know? Um, yeah, because it's like, it, it, boom, I hit the menu. Oh, I was one frame late, so I'm going to discount one frame off of what I'm supposed to wait. Boom, I got the manager. Okay, next floor, right? I walk up, boom, I was perfect this time, but I was one frame late last time, which puts me in the zone where I need to discount one off of this one. So it says three, I'm going to do two, right? And then you so do you're it. just triangle on and off until you get that value. Yeah. Uh, oh. And and so I've got I have gotten it to work on console at this point, um, but it's going to be a little bit more practice uh, before we can do it in runs. Uh, but it is it's pretty insane uh, at this point. You've got a whole lab going for this FF7 speedrunning, man. I appreciate it. it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's uh it's good stuff. And, Let and me yeah, ask, the, uh, Python. So I guess um, uh, to offshoot, you wrote a Python script to predict your next move. Like essentially, like how many frames you need to go. Yeah, or, like, I'm trying to figure out like uh, Python. I'm not a developer at all, so Python I've heard is not fun to learn and program for so like i mean how much did you have to invest like time wise i mean did you already know python or um, what taught you I, python i have a background in action script from when i was in like high school i made flash games you know huh. uh and i it, it's it's very similar you know you made um, flash games like uh, what kind uh well shitty ones well, they're flash <laughs> games, so that goes without saying. Yeah, I made like some school projects. One of them was like an Oregon Trail ripoff board game where you like rolled a die and it moved you a certain number of spaces, and then like a and then like a random event happened, you know, and you would just see if you could keep your your caravan alive throughout the whole thing. Uh, but it was just a dice roll for everything. Basic you know? logic, but sounds what I would imagine Oregon Trail is like. I mean, for a school project, the teacher yeah. was pretty stoked about it. Um, and then another one I made was, uh, it was like a Haiti. Okay, we were doing a project about like Roman versus Greek mythology, and Hades and Pluto are, you know, equivalent gods, Analogs. right? So I, uh, so, and, and, and that was like the, the duo that I got. Everyone got like a duo of, of equivalent gods to make something out of, right? Oh yeah. And, uh, and I got Hades and Pluto. So I made a flash game that's like, you're in hell and there's all the, or the underworld, right? And there's all the soul, the, all the souls of people are falling, right? They were stick figures. All the, all the souls of people were falling in and, and the two players, one person played as Hades and one person played as Pluto. And they were like little baskets, right? That had to like try to catch more souls than the other person. <laughs> um, 
but then there <laughs> this were also great, actually <laughs> there were also power ups you know where like the people the, uh, on top like there was a grass level at the top and you could see people walking around and they would worship the two gods you know and when they worshiped them it would give them power and then that would like you could you could move faster or there was a power that like moved your basket up you know so they you could, could sacrifice like, get, themselves faster for you <laughs> uh it yeah it, it was a uh, you know so that you know uh, stuff like that right i like that so nice. um and then a little bit later i did try oh i made like a no more heroes clone i never uh, played that what was that game about it, it's great um uh it's it, we I, I can talk about that another episode um it's, it's a in very, like the the borderlands area of my brain where i know i need to play it but like and it's insanely good but i, well, I don't know if this is insanely good but it's it's in, for some reason i've heard of that game and, and then for some reason my brain filed it under borderlands category Ah, yes. Well, you should play it. Uh, perhaps I'll talk about it next week in a non-spoilery way. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, so uh, the, basically I saw somebody made uh, Portal, the Flash version, when I was younger, and it was awesome. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to do that with No More Heroes. So I started to make a No More Heroes Flash version. And like, I got far enough to make a little hack and slash that sucked, you know, but like I made it. Um, anyway. Point is, I have experience with programming as far as, like, I know how to establish variables, make if statements, make while loops, make for loops, build arrays, you know, make for loops that look at the elements of an array, right? All that kind of stuff, you know? And all of that was extremely easy to transfer into Python. I basically mm. already knew Python. I just had to learn a couple syntax points, you yeah, know what like I mean? The, like, learn the uh, grammar, so to speak, yeah. of, the, of the language, yeah. Yeah, and it's that a little sense. weird. The thing that the thing that is very strange to me about Python is that there is no closing curly braces. As in like when you make an if statement, generally you would say if this operator this or not operator. What do you what do you, what do you call the thing that uh, comparator? Um it, you know, if this this, right? And then you put an opening curly brace, right? And then your next line is indented, and this is what it does if the statement is true. And then when you're done writing the things that happen if the statement is true, you put a curling or a closing curly brace, right? In Python, you the indentation is actually read as like the opening closing curly braces. Um, you put a colon after the if statement. You do like if x equals four colon. And then your next line is indented, but then in to stop the if statement, you just unindent your next line, and it recognizes that. And I don't, I don't think I like that very much. It feels less controlled to me, you know. Like I just have to trust it, which is technically what you're doing with a compiler anyway. But like I don't know, it's weird. Uh, it's strange to me. So Python is a little weird in a couple ways, but it's very nice in some other ways, you know. Dude, I know um, how to turn a screwdriver. I, I can't program for shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> so the, to, to be very clear about what I made in Python, it is not something intended to be ran in conjunction with the game. 
Oh, uh, yeah. it, it was a tool to very quickly route out a bunch of shit ahead of time. You know kind what I mean? some calculations. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't say that you, the purpose is that the spreadsheet that Brutal made tells you, oh, you're on list 204. Now put 204 into the script and it tells you what the manip is. Nah, nah, nah. You already ran the script for all 256 possibilities. It's all in a notepad document, right? Just control F for it you know and that's and that's what you do during a run i actually okay so some manips are a lot better than others you know some are a lot faster some have some have better opening windows some are actually impossible and you should avoid so um i actually created a grid of all the num like i i went through all of my script outputs for every single list and analyzed it and just by you know by my own opinion judged how good they are you know and col- and and then I, I, on the 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 wordpad document begins with uh just a grid of all numbers 0 to 255 and i color coded how much i liked each of them you know <laughs> so that uh so th- because brutal's sheet actually says like you can pick what list you want to land on when when you put in the the waterfall glow values it says hey if you're natural you're going to be on 204 but if natural? you were to um natural like if you just run if you just go from now on you know you're going to be on 204 that's what you've landed on naturally mm. but if you were to just like stand outside Eris's house for an extra second before you ran out then you'd be on list 237 and maybe that one's good you know uh and so for that reason i have them all color coded so i can really quickly see oh yeah that's a blue one i'm gonna do that one you know and so then i have to wait a certain number of time before exiting the field and then that that puts you on the path to get on that one right and then and then that same that same color coded grid uh, I can then just highlight the number that I like, the the one that I picked, which has asterisks around it to make it easy to do the next part, where you highlight it with the asterisks around it, control F, enter, boom, that jumps you right down to the spot on the document that has that manip written out, you know? So I'm prepared. Damn. I'm ready. But yeah. I there's a lot of practice to do still to actually get this shit down because it's... Very, very complicated. And you might be thinking to yourself, Dash, I thought you said that it's only like a minute faster uh, to, to, to get a perfect elevator. Yeah, it's like a minute faster, but it's cons- it's going to be consistent. A consistent minute, yeah. Like, well, a minute is a huge amount of time in a speedrunning world. Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's world changing. Like, what the fuck? A, a minute is a really big deal, uh, but... Over the course of a seven-hour run, it's kind of more important just that we stop getting screwed, you know? <laughs> uh, like, the, the elevator just... Well, the, this, the, is, this is like one hour in, you said, right? Yeah, it's an hour in, and so to just lose two minutes because your elevator sucked, we're done with that, you know? Uh, so it's, it's more about getting rid of that. Um, because as everything goes, one really weird thing about speedrunning a game like this is that... If you are just lucky and you happen to get perfect RNG, that's faster than manipulating, you know, (laughs) because it takes time to do the things that manipulate it. You know what I mean? True. 
you have to wait on this screen to get your list to advance. You have to run this way on this screen to get your list set up right. You have to menu at the elevator button and buffer menus a bunch of times, which takes like a second each time you do it, you know? You have to do all this shit. But if you just happened to get a perfect elevator, you don't have to do any of that, you know? So... It's a weird thing, you know, to, to come up with these manipulations. You sacrifice that absolute god possibility, you know, the god RNG. You sacrifice that to make sure that you just get the really a good, safe run. Yeah. really good, you know. Like, it's still going to save time, but even more importantly, though, it's, uh, it's consistent. Well, but anyway, I, assu- I assume this is in disc one, right? Oh, yeah. So how many of these kind of controlled exploits are there in the game? Uh, the other really big one that is very similar to all of this is f- the Final Descent manipulation. So on the Final Descent... Uh, that's is this on- the, the Battle with Sephiroth? Just beforehand. So okay. just before the, the last four, three? Three bosses, right? You fight Genova. That, why did I think it was four? The, uh, you fight- Ultimate Weapon? Uh, well, you fight Genova, and then you fight Bizarro Sephiroth, and then you fight Safer Sephiroth, and that's the final... Spoilers! That's the final three bosses, you know? Um, but just before that, there's these 13, I think, these 13 rocks that you jump down, and on each of them, you have a random chance to get a battle, you know? Oh. Um, so that's the thing. Uh, and for a long time, this just was absolutely terrible for runners because uh, you could just randomly get five encounters. It was the same thing, right? It was the same exact thing where it's just you got a random chance to get a bunch of battles. You can lose up to two minutes, you know? Super insulting at the very end of the game, um, though. (laughs) Yeah, yes. At the very end, you can just lose two minutes, right? But... Uh, it, it's the same thing though. It uses the list value and it uses the stone value and all that. And so, uh, so Ace Zephyr, Ace Zephyr, one of the most knowledgeable people around as far as the inner workings of this game goes, he created a script where, um, before the final descent, before you go into Northern Cave, there's the cutscene before you fight Hojo. And during that cutscene, there's this thing that's sparking. This is very similar to the waterfall sparkles. Wait a minute. Hang on. I'm sorry. You fight Hojo? Yeah, you fight Hojo in Final Fantasy VII. Damn it, it's been a long time since I played Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. Uh, it's very close to the end. It's like the very, it's, it's the last thing that happens on disc two. Um yeah. and wait wait, wait. Uh, disc two uh it's a three disc game isn't it yes not four I, I'm thinking four for some reason anyway go ahead Final Fantasy eight and nine are four discs ah, but seven yeah. is, seven is three okay. um so uh so during the cutscene in front of Hojo there's this thing that's sparking and just like the waterfall sparkles it sparks at different intervals depending on what list values it's getting and so if you were to track all of them. You could uh, a script could make a very reasonable, if not surefire, guess as to what your current list value is. And so Ace Zephyr made a tool that has a button. It's a web page with a button on it that you just as you're mashing through the the dialogue of that cutscene. Every time you see it spark, you just click that button, right? 
and then at the end of it, you say run, and it says, okay, here's the list value you're on. This is how many encounters you're going to get in the final descent, but, and it does all this calculation for you, and it says, if you were to just stand for three extra seconds on this particular field of the northern cave, that'll advance list in a way where you'll get one encounter, or you'll get, or maybe you'll get zero. Um, but a lot of the time, it would just get you down to one or something. But that was very helpful, right? And you, and that's basically very, very similar to the waterfall thing now. But then an even crazier manipulation was found, where way earlier in the game. So first of all, the first time that you go to Bone Village, which is right after you fight Demon's Gate, which is about three and a half hours ah, into the run. Sorry, right? good. that's a good song by Candlemass. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but, <laughs> about three and a half hours into the run is the first time that you enter Bone Village, and there's this guy that you talk to. And when you talk to him, it sets uh, stone. Remember stone, the incrementer value? Uh, yeah. the, 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 actually, I'm glad that we started getting into this because this is why it's called Stone. Stone is the speedrunner name for it. It doesn't have a name in oh. the programming, you know? It's just it's just memory address 075CBE or something, you know what I, I mean? I was thinking it was like a land-based code. Like, this is where you are in the map or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, so the reason it's called Stone is because barely anything in the game actually uses it. Well, I mean, everything uses it. Again, <laughs> it, okay. What it does is every time that list is called, it jumps down the list by the number that is stone. And yeah. that is always happening. Very, 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 very few things in the game actually change your stone value. Can, can so, we like talk uh, talk about this real quick? So yeah. is this this game's like base level kind of programming to just make it seem like it's not RNG, but it's kind of RNG. Like, is, is, is this made it, is this in the game to make it not predictable? Yeah, yeah. This is this game's way of doing RNG. Okay. This is just okay. how they did it. When they want a random number, this is the process. We've got a list okay. of numbers that we've pre-coded into a shuffled order, uh, but because that's not random enough... We have to have modifiers. We've yeah. also got this thing, yeah, that changes how many numbers down the list it jumps each time. Okay. So stone is the number of places we jump down the list each time, and very few things in the game actually change that. Uh, one of them is it start. First of all, it starts at one. When you do the squats mini game, it changes to thirty three. Uh, when you do the elevator, it changes every single floor. And then after that, though, it doesn't change again. I don't think until you go to Bone Village the first time. Again, after Demon's Gate, three and a half hours into the run, about halfway. Um, you uh. When you when you talk to the guy to find the lunar harp, you go to Bone Village. There's a guy you talk to to start a mini game where like you have to dig in a certain spot to get a treasure. When you when you clear the final text box of his dialogue about the digging mini game, it sets a new stone based on your in-game time. Uh, so it, it it like takes your in-game timer. I think it mods that by sixteen. And then multiplies it by 16, adds one, and gives you a new stone. I think that's how it's, it works. I'm not exactly positive about that, but it changes it at that point. That's the point. Um, so 
the reason that we call it stone in the first place, I'm almost sure Brutal is the one that came up with that name, is because it's set in stone, is the idea. Oh, okay. You know, that's why. <laughs> like, you, 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 you set it right there, it's set in stone, it doesn't change, that's what it's going to be for the rest of the run. Uh, because just nothing else for the rest of the run until Final Descent actually changes it. It's so, monosyllabic, and if he's running, if he's live, I make, that makes sense for the sake of brevity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it, right. That's why I'm not calling it your incrementer every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you're, <laughs> you're speed running the fucking English language. <laughs> your field RNG list incrementer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what, what was I getting at? I was saying, oh, so there, okay, then way later in the run, there is a spot uh, when you go pick up Bugenhagen. To bring him over to the ancient city. That's where... the general of uh, soldier, right? No, Bugenhagen is uh, Nanaki or uh, uh, Red Thirteen's grandpa. Oh yeah, okay. Who, the, who's oh, in, Cosmo, in Canyon. Uh, Cosmo Canyon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good. So way later in the game, you go pick up Bugenhagen. You bring him to the city of the ancients, and they um and and, uh, and that's where like you find out that uh, that Eris is. Uh, uh, spoilers. Uh, Eris's <laughs> is um, an agent. thing was uh, materia, white materia, right? The holy, it was holy. Mo- white materia was in her hair. Um, <clears throat> and then when Sephiroth stabbed her, that's what fell into the pond. Yeah. Um, and then you find out some stuff about her, right? Uh, so when you go and pick up Bugenhagen, this is the this is going to be the one of the weirdest things you ever heard about this game. When you go to pick up Bugenhagen. Uh, just before you go into the observatory, the the last field, there is this weather vane that swings. All right, it's just a weather vane in the tower. Like he, it's on his on the side of his tower, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. swings, and every time it swings, it waits a random amount of time before it swings again. Okay, yeah, just an innocuous little weather vane. Wow. However, <laughs> um, the way it's programmed. It asks for a random number, and then it asks if the random number is between zero and three, and it and it behaves differently depending on whether it it landed on zero, one, two, or three. You have to wonder if, like, when the game was being programmed, if these were consequences of the game's programming, or if they were intended visual cues. That's that's crazy. There's like no. Fucking way that this was intended, I think. But but let me let me t- tell you. Normally, if you want to rent, okay. So this ge- tell you tell me this game is set up with a system where you can call a random number and you receive a random number between zero and two fifty five. But you want a random number between zero and four. What or between z- from zero to three? I should say. What do you, <laughs> what do, you do? You mod it by four, right? Yeah. Random number, mod four. Look at the least significant two bits. There is your random number between zero and four. For You're dividing s- by four, right? Divide by four, return the remainder. Okay, yeah, return uh, the remainder. Okay. So, but, but that's normally what you would do. But for some fucking reason, this weather vane, it, it grabs a random number, 
it asks if it is specifically 0, 1, 2, or 3. <laughs> and then there's 251, 200, <laughs> yeah, 251 more values that it could be. And if it's one of those, it just loops and it gets another random number. And oh. it keeps getting random numbers until it gets 0, 1, 2, or 3. So you're having to stare at this piece of shit until you see a predictable pattern? Yes. God damn. Uh, because, um, well, I mean, you're only going to see the result. You only see the 0, 1, 2, or 3 when it happens. Uh, oh, okay. So there's only one of four possibilities that this, this weather van could be pointed or something like that. Yes. But okay. normally that wouldn't be helpful because we would, it would just mod it by four and we don't know which one of the 64 different values that it, that it landed on, right? We see that it does the three pattern, yeah. but that could be one of 64 different of list 64, values okay. yep. if it just modded four. But no, 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 no. It fucking waited and looped the script until it hit three specifically. So you've got we, to determine whether or not your run is is a Slytherin or a Hufflepuff. <laughs> well, so this is the other thing about it is remember I said way back when in Bone Village, stone gets set, right? And it gets set based on your IGT. So when you enter Bone Village the first time, three and a half hours into the run, you enter at a certain in-game time. You look at your seconds digit, and you want it to be 12, 28, 44, or 56. One of those four values will get you a the stone value that we want. Because then... Hours later in the run now, because we know what the incrementer is, that means that in the list of random numbers, we know what order we're going to hit 0, 1, 2, and 3 are. You follow? Like, kind of. Like it, it would be uh, 0, 1, 3, 4, or 0, 2, 1, 4, or... Exactly. Because yeah. we know how much it's incrementing by So you're each following time. a blink pattern. Almost. Yeah. So basically what happens is the weather vane swings and then it rests for a random amount of time. Oh. Right. But based on how long it rests for, we know what list value we're on and we want a specific one. We want the one that will cause it to sit in time for like three. It's like 300 frames or something it sits for. But there's also a spinning satellite dish, which is very nice for counting. So basically <laughs> what we want, we sit there and we look at the weather vane. When the weather vane stops, we start counting the satellite spins. And if it spins around three times before the weather vane spins again, go, you're on the correct value. You can leave, right? If it only gets around two and a half times and goes again. Can then you imagine living in a world where if you saw one event daily happen in a certain sequence of events, you could predict the outcome of the rest of your day. Could you admit, I'm sorry to like uh, deregulate that, but like there, it, it's amazing to me how a game programmed in, what is this? 1997, I think yeah. 1998 uh, has these like obscure, like, you know, memory changing values change how the game affects like you as the player. But like, you, you know, without all without doing all this deep delving into the programming and the science of uh, probability and what's happening here, you'd have no correlation to what you're seeing on the screen. There's so much data being streamed at you that makes like if if you knew how to interpret it, you could you know get a perfect run. But holy shit, like the fact that people have undercover like uh, have uncovered that these 
things can even have any significance at all is really impressive to me. Yeah. So, um, the, so anyway, the, the reason that you do this with the weather vane is because you already set your stone. It's set in stone. And, uh, and then now you know that your list is at this specific value. The reason that the powers that be said that you put it at this point is because then if you do everything else in the game optimally, as in you go to City of the Ancients with Bugenhagen and you move through in this exact precise way, not technically perfectly optimal. There's one spot where you need to purposely waste a couple frames, but we won't talk about that. Besides that, if you do everything else like perfectly optimally, what ends up happening is when you land at the final descent at the very end of the game, you should get there in this window of RNG that will give you zero encounters in the final descent. Uh, there's like a window, right? Where all, where because of where your stone is and because of where your list is, they've determined that the next several spots uh, uh, on list is going to result in a zero encounter final descent. So it's this nice wide gap of time that you have to get there. And so that moment, that that generous gap was basically like offset, you know, re- recursively offset to figure out where do we need, you know, the weather vane with the weather vane we can control list. So where where do we need to set it? in order to then have all of this other stuff end up lining up to land on that gap. And so my whole point talking about Final Descent Manip is that um, it used to be a thing where you counted a visual cue similar to, to what we're doing with the waterfall now, uh, but it has later been something that is purely in-game just looking at shit, you know? You don't like have to stone. use... Yeah, Tell you, you. Uh, you don't got to use a spreadsheet. You don't got to do, you know, you don't got to use a tool or a script. Instead, it is just you enter Bone Village on these in-game times. You wait for the satellite to spin three times and then you play optimally. And boom, you've got zero encounter final descent. It's three super... times specifically because like is, is it, does three spins equal 60 hertz or? Uh, it's because it, that means that list landed on the value that has it wait for that many frames and that's the list value that you want. Oh, so it's like the, the three spins is, uh, developed specifically because of that kind of situation in that point in time in the game. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, it's like super elegant now where, where it's all in game uh, and you just observe things in the game. And honestly, I wish Elevator was like that too, and maybe it will be someday. Actually, it kind of used to be. There's another method to the Elevator that uh, Hype Ghost and Luzbell, and I, I, I hope I'm not missing someone else who deserves credit, but they actually, before this whole spreadsheet and waterfall glow uh, thing was developed by Brutal, what they do is after you buy the batteries and uh, in Wall Market and you run up to the to where you climb the wire, you to know the cables, yeah. Uh, there's those three kids that run over, mm-hmm. you know. There's three kids standing there. Before you run too close to them, they do an animation. The kid kind of swings his arms every once in a while, and uh, and and those couple runners actually mapped out different arm swing patterns to mean different list values and then they and then they created manips off those this is what i'm talking about though like do you think like 
man, I guess at a certain point, you know, you can kind of map everything to a, a, a clock event into a game. But like, how many games nowadays can you actually look at and be like, this NPC did this behavior for like a half a second, and I can predict it from there, what's going to happen within the next five minutes, you know? Yeah, like, I'm not sure. It's definitely, honestly, it's something, that it, it's one of the many, many things that draws me to retro games, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the like fact that somebody the can say, clock. yes, someone can say, it's this memory address that flips this bit on and off, and that's what makes this happen, you know? And it's like, awesome. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, because, yeah. like, I mean, like, with the with the stone value that you mentioned obviously it's, that's a speedrunner metric but like that and just getting things down i mean the fact that there's a science to getting things to frame perfect levels to accurately uh predict the outcome events in this game is impressive to me that i don't i don't know that like programming with video games nowadays can like i mean like you can run into an area you can attack a, a certain creature at a certain time does that mean like I'm, I'm wondering how much of this carry carries over to modern game development like is there a certain level of predictability that you can establish based off of just a few input visual input from the very get-go it's yeah. crazy I, I don't know that modern games can be speed run like retro games are currently and 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 at least i don't think the science would be the same yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure because I, I don't really have a lot of experience with speedrunning of modern games uh, besides, you know, I, I've watched like some Dark Souls runs and that's more about like bug mm -hmm. exploits where yeah. when you hear people talk about it, it's, they're not talking about memory addresses and stuff. They're talking about like, oh, the game's fucked and so when you do this sequence of inputs, <laughs> it just makes a mistake, you know, like uh, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I guess that's another another thing I didn't think about. It's there's the, there's the other a whole dimension of this is a 3D game. There is a whole other dimension of programming. Uh, yeah, in, in the making here. So, yeah, there's there's oh. a lot more variables. I would guess. Yeah. Um. So one thing. Uh. One one last thing to mention is that like I I at the very end there I mentioned the arm swing patterns thing. Um. Very interesting and important to note that, like, Luzbell has been doing elevator manip on PlayStation for a while now. He's already been doing it using the arm swing method. Um, from what I understand, the issue with it is that because you cannot control your list value uh, uh, leading up to that part of the game, um you might just not get a good arm swing, you know? Hmm. Like, you might get up there, and then they just don't do the thing that you want them to do, you know? And you're just like, and you're standing there for, you're standing there for a minute before you see the recognizable thing, you know? Uh, and that sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why, like, the spreadsheet method has been developed. It's the opposite of FD manip, which was you count the sparks using a tool that tells you what to do, and it just does a best effort, right? But then the in-game visual cue thing ends up being a perfect Final Descent every time. I love that, you know? Personally, I will say, completely frankly, I don't like the idea of of watching a playback of a cutscene in 25% speed so I can input numbers into a spreadsheet that While tells you're on the me run. <laughs> yeah that tells me what value I'm on you know I 
do think that that is less cool. It's a little um, bit extra anyway because it's like you're relying on more than your skill with the game to yeah. advance the game. Yep. And so, like, it, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are going to be against it. Um, and, like, people listening to the podcast, maybe you think it sounds stupid. And, uh, I, you know, the thing is, I kind of agree that, like, I, 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 I'm, I want to be careful with exactly what I say here because what I'm saying is I really, really appreciate the work that has been done on the spreadsheet. I think it's really cool. I'm going to use it, it's very interesting and cool. But I would rather use something that was purely in-game uh, if, that, if that were possible. Yeah. yeah. Only problem is that arm swings can kill the run. They're less good, you know. Uh, it, it, it's, a less, it's a less fast method, you know. Um, I, I think in general, like... I, you know, there's different kinds of runs. Obviously, there's the any percent, and then there's the glitchless. You know, all that. Y you know this, but like to get it to the point where Final Fantasy VII is specifically, I think you almost have to understand and utilize the tools of the science that has been developed to actually run the game. Because if you're not, you're not on an equal playing field with other speedrunners. Um, mm -hmm at least in that category that you're speedrunning. But my thinking is that if I can get uh if I can get to where the next human is using human developed uh techniques, who cares if it's a spreadsheet, you know? It's like that was developed using a mod like you've mentioned Python. Like you used Python as a modern, you know, language that you learned to manipulate a game that you know how to play it's like it's, yeah. it's it's like not hacking it's just like you're using a tool that other people don't have but those people don't it's not like those people don't have access to learning python well totally maybe there's a maybe there's a certain extent to that but you know <laughs> yeah and no one's being secretive about these techniques either you know the the <laughs> spreadsheet that brutal made is you know people uh well i think he's he's touching some stuff up before it's like a, a super publicly available but like we who are in the circle and like and working on it, you know, we all have access to it, right? Um, you know, as far as yeah. you know, my my script, I want to touch it up a little bit more, but you know, I'm gonna release the results of it to everybody, you know. And even uh, to the to, to the writer's credit of uh for the for the programming of uh, of even a, a spreadsheet, it's like sharing that kind of only helps in that situation because mm -hmm. other speedrunners are going to report back if there's problems. Yeah. So also, uh, there is one more funny note about all of this is, uh, all of the spreadsheets looking at and waterfall, uh, sparkles and list value and shit. All of that does not apply to the PC version. Oh. Now the P the PC version has list it has stone, but uh, th for the PC version they've actually been doing elevator manip for a super long time and it's super easy because list uh, the thing is you if you hard reset your game and then load your save file your list is zero it just oh. lo it, it loads a zero and on PC. It does not take very long to quit the game and reopen it because it's on PC. It's bing bang boom. It's real quick. It it's like takes Doom, a you can hotkey F five. 
Yeah, it takes a it takes a lot longer, however, to hard reset a PlayStation. So on PC, the strat is to just get up to the elevator as quick as you can, save the game, hard reset, go into the <laughs> elevator, and do the zero list manip. You know, uh, <laughs> that's a separate category, though. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? PC is yeah. a different category. It's just a funny thing to note that like this whole dumb shit about the <laughs> spreadsheet and tracking your list value and all this dumb shit is all just because it takes too long to reboot a PlayStation. <laughs> I didn't think about that. So you, you this is literally was just disc read time accounted for, I guess. Yep. Crazy. Well, there you uh, well, go. Actually, hang I, on. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I was going to ask, does that strat apply to a, even like a specific hardware revision of PlayStation or even PlayStation 2? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, all of them take, will take too long to reboot, you know? Well, because, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, because so, like, you like, got to watch the whole so, a PlayStation opening, then it does the Square Enix, and then it okay. does the credits thing, and then it does the main menu and then it takes a minute for the bar to fill up to load your <laughs> memory card you know like it all takes forever pc you kind of skip through it much 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 faster yeah i got you I, I was thinking in terms of like if disc read speed was actually accounted for in the final runs times and all that shit uh so the way that disc read speed is accounted for is that everybody runs on a on a 90k ps2 or a 79k which is a certain model of the PlayStation 2 Slim. It loads discs yeah. the fastest. I think I saw that, and uh, I want to say, damn, dude, I think I saw someone post recently on Twitter that the price of PS2 Slims on eBay have kind of just shot up 100 bucks because of speedrunning. Really? I, I, I just bought a 90... 90- so I started speedrunning FF7 in September. I think I bought a 90K PS2 in, like, October or November. Um, and it was like, I, I think it was like 60 bucks. I want to say it was the, like, honestly, a matter of two to three months ago. Oh, wow. So it might've been like January when I saw someone report that like, you know, this could just be like one eBay rogue selling listing, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. But like this, th- they were saying essentially like they, they posted like a screenshot of a listing of eBay with a few different, uh, slim model PS2 is like, they were just like, Whoa, what happened to the, like what price wise, what happened? Why are these still, why are these? so much more expensive and people are like yeah they're flying off the shelves because like you know they read discs the fastest or whatever but me personally having worked on them um the slims are a thousand percent easier to work on so i love them for that but they also lack like well first of all they lack the hard drive capability of the fat ps2 but like they also don't all they have like the ps1 hardware on 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 the chip anymore yeah. So with a slim PS2, you're technically emulating uh, your PS2. Very, game. very technically, yes. Yeah. But you know, it's official, right? It's a. It, it's oh a, sure, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like like a the, sanctioned for sure. Yeah. Um, it's just like a matter of like I was wondering why the prices were so different because my my thinking is if you want a PS2 for the longest time. People were always wanting the fat PS2 because of a the hard drive, but b because like. It just like played your. It played every PlayStation disc at the time, with with no muss no fuss. So, and also the charger was internal. Oh, the the power supply is internal, so you don't have all the charger woes that the slim model has. Uh, the ninety k it's actually internal on also. Oh, I've um, heard that. Yeah, actually, you're right. Uh, they they finally made it internal. Was it the le- like the last revision? Yep. Yeah, the ninety k it's internal. Uh, it even has the network uh adapter oh, yeah. in it as well and stuff. 
Um, I bet and, you that's the one that's expensive now then. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, it's it's the one that generally loads the games the fastest for PS1. You have to turn it on. When you go, uh, when you turn it on, you hit triangle on browser to go into the options and then triangle again to go into like the PlayStation drivers and you got to change disk speed to fast and you have to well, do it every time because it defaults <laughs> to normal every time. It's, um, it saves that on a ROM chip or something. <laughs> yeah, I think the reason is because some games are technically not compatible with the fast disk load speeds uh, and okay. so they didn't want people to like set it and forget it and then think that their PlayStation was broken. That is makes perfect I sense. Imagine yeah. is. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that that's crazy to hear cuz yeah, this one was only like 60 bucks. Um it was console only though, right? Cuz I didn't need another power cable and, and cables, video yeah. cable and shit like that cuz I'm just getting, you know. Uh so maybe that was part of it, but yeah, yeah. interesting. Well, I spent all of my time that I was going to talk about Alundra talking about uh, Final Fantasy VII again. But, That's okay. Um, I, I was hoping you'd go into it more because I, I know you're passionate about that. And it's cool to see you progressing like you have been. Like your, your times for Final Fantasy VII have been insane. Yeah, I'm. I it's. I I love this speedrun, man. It's so great. Um, you know, I look. Dude, I haven't played the game. Like legit <laughs> played the game. Like, I've given it an attempt on my PS3, like, in maybe 2014, 2015, um, but it didn't... Like, JRPGs in my attention span nowadays, you know. But, like, the last time I beat the game, I was a kid. I was, like, 11. So, yeah. like, the fact that you can talk about it speedrunning now, and I can recall so much of it uh, from even not remembering half the game, you know, it's cool to hear your passion about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love I it. I can recall it and talk about it. It's cool. And... So I'll talk about Alundra pretty soon. You know what? It's probably better that I talk about that later anyway, because one reason that I wanted to talk about games on this podcast is that a lot of the time I beat a game and I want to do like a review of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then instead what keeps happening is I talk about a game after I've played it like twice, right? Uh, and then I don't want to bring it back up, you know, later. So yeah, then I end up not really having that necessary like review portion. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I beat Nocturne. Remember when I talked about Nocturne months and months ago? I beat it. It was awesome. 10 out of 10. I recommend it. You should play it. There you go. You asked me a question. Do I remember when you talked about Nocturne? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> what is this game about really quick? High level recap? It's the JRPG where like you capture you negotiate with demons and get them in your party. Wait, 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 we're talking about Shimigami Tensei. Yeah. Oh, okay. SMT four? Three, Nocturne. Three. Okay. Yeah, never mind. I know what you're talking about now. Okay, yep. I thought Nocturne was like a standalone title. Okay. Yeah, I beat cool. it. It was great. Yeah, well fuck yeah. Shimigami Tensei just like the more I see the demons, the more I'm impressed anyway. So I I I believe you. All right, all right. Well that's gonna do it for me. Anything else from you? Nah, I'll figure more about Vermintide. See if see how the high level gameplay is down in the later levels. If I can get my level up there, because mostly I've been grinding Sea of Thieves stuff lately. Before that, so uh, I burnt out on Sea of Thieves once I got that shit, and I've just been nonstop Vermintide. So I'll see if I can get more on that. Sounds good. Well, thanks for chatting. Thanks everybody for listening. Also, we'll see you next time. Yeah, y'all have a good night. See you later. Thanks for listening.